Hello and welcome to another episode of A Slice of Health, the Candid Health Chat podcast, where we slice away health truth from health fiction. Join me and my friends as we challenge common health myths via chit chat powered by several cups of coffee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and do visit us at a sliceofhealth.club. Let's get to today's episode. On today's episode, I'm joined by my two friends, Dr. Jemima Obawo and Dr. Timmy Oshin. We discuss race, gender, and working in healthcare. George Floyd's death in the past week, alongside the protests that have occurred worldwide, have brought to the fore the evidence and perpetual institutional racism that exists, that so many of us have to face, that affects both our patients and our colleagues working in healthcare. I do hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope it is the beginning of important conversations that we need to have. Hello champions, welcome back to another episode of A Slice of Health and it's me, MDO. Today we are joined by Jemima and Timmy. Jemima is an ONG trainee in the Northwest. She's been a medic for six years and outside of medicine, she has several interests, including music, event planning, and she's also started producing spoken word pieces which can be accessed via Instagram and YouTube. We are also joined today by Tammy O'Shane, who is a British Nigerian doctor, born and raised in London. She obtained her medical degree in the Ukraine and is currently finishing her GP training in South End. Welcome, Jemima and Timmy. Thank you. Hi, hi. thanks for having also, us. Thanks for joining us today. So today we're talking about race in medicine, race as a woman in healthcare. Um, And obviously it's on the backdrop of everything that has happened with the murder of George Floyd and, you know, that then raising a lot of issues of institutional racism that exists in the UK. Um, We often in the UK tend to bury our head in the sand like an ostrich pretending that if we don't talk about things and we don't see things, then it's not happening around us. But actually that isn't the case as I'm sure you guys are aware of from either personal experience or um, your own lived experience and the experiences of others. So um, yeah, so I just thought that today might just be an opportunity just to have a chat amongst ourselves um, and just to maybe elucidate others on what the situation is like for people who don't know and also for people who know as well not to feel so isolated to know that they're not alone and that there will be hope you know in the future um and hopefully in our lifetimes that we will see we will see a change um does anyone want to start in terms of their opinions on the subject or any experiences that they've had i'll pick on someone because i see all your faces <laughs> and you're just like mm, mm. <laughs> Who should go first? Um, okay, yeah, I'll start. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, my medical journey kind of started before, obviously, I started working as an obstetrician trainee. So I can take it back to when I was applying for medicine, mm. um, and that was an interesting time in itself because in my school, I was probably one of three black people in the whole school. Mm. And I remember um, when it came to applying, speaking to like the, the head of sixth form at the time, just about my options and choices. And as every uh, Nigerian 
um, applying for uni at that time, I think a lot of parents were like, you know, you should go to, to Oxbridge. You know, that was the thing. Like, <laughs> that's the standard, <laughs> the gold standard for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and I remember saying, oh, yeah, you know, like, these are these are the universities I wanted to apply to. And, and the sort of response was, was why? Like, why, why would you want to go there? Like, you know, why don't you think about other places like, like Leeds, like Manchester, like Nottingham? Um, and it was almost as though it was a kind of, are you sure you were of the caliber of people that would be attending that kind of university? Uh, can you really do it? Um, and this is after I had worked like incredibly hard to get the grades needed. And I'd gotten like more than the grades needed to get into university at that time. Um, mm -hmm. So that I think for me was kind of the beginning of like, oh, hold on a second. Um, okay, there's a bit of a difference here. Um, and then getting into university, I think with, with med school, it in itself has its own challenges. Medicine is, is rigorous, it is intense. Mm. Um, and my university wasn't one that had, I would say a huge population of black people in medicine. Mm. We had a small community and it was good to have, you know, brotherly, sisterly support, should I say, but it wasn't, again, that they, we weren't the majority. Mm. Um, but I think overall, I would notice that even when it came to um, preparation, like we would prepare really hard, but then when it, the, the outcome and the results were always not comparable. comparable. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I never understood why is it like uh, our studying patterns were, <laughs> were wrong, they weren't up to scratch, or what was it that was always making us different compared to our counterparts? Yeah. Um, and I think also realizing that when you look back, you're like, okay, I, I know how to diagnose a lot of things in white people. I don't know what that is like in black people. Yes. So we, we did, yeah. Derm was great. It was the greatest module. It was all pictures. We thank God for that. So we just needed a bit of a break <laughs> from too much science. And it's nice to see, you know, the red rash, but I'm like, black people don't get red rashes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't come up as red just because of the pigment of our skin. So, you know, when you have a rash that is as life-threatening as meningitis, what, what does that look like in a black person? Mm. When you have Kawasaki disease, what does that look like in a black person? Mm. Um, and I think those are some of the examples of, of things that, that makes you realize that, okay, it's maybe it's not, um, it's not quite equal in, in terms of everything that, that we, we go through and learn in, in medical school. And then, I think taking it to the workplace, it's been one where I think more so for my patients rather than for myself. So I see that, I mean, working in Obzangani, they've already said, you know, like five, um, sorry, black women are more likely to die in childbirth up to five times more likely than, than white people. And that, I think when I think about it, I think how, how has this come about? What are the things that I see in my day-to-day -day practice that could explain some of that statistic. Mm. Um, and I think for some reason, it just seems like there is a, there is a perception, um, maybe not intentional, maybe it's just been something that, I don't know, this, this has been passed down somehow, where we just seem to assume that black people have a different level of pain 
that if we are reporting a symptom, it's maybe not as serious as we're saying it is. Um, I, I can think of two examples. One was a lady who, this is on the gynae ward, and she had, she's a black lady, and she had been, um, she'd come in with a possible ectopic pregnancy. So that's a pregnancy that is occurring um, in the tubes rather than inside the room. And she, early hours of the morning, at the end of my night shift, nurses were like, oh yeah, she's just been being a very hysterical. She's really odd. I think she needs a psych review. She's just screaming the place down. Um, and you know, like, you, you've already, there's already a bias in that. And you're thinking, okay, okay, this is going to be a difficult patient, whatever, whatever. And you go review the patient and you're like, she's in a lot of pain. Her observations are not brilliant. She's tachycardic. She's clearly having a ruptured ectopic and she needs to go to theater. But it's not been highlighted like that. Yeah. Um, similarly, I've had a lady who, um, you know, a couple of hours after his cesarean section, or sorry, a couple of days after his cesarean section, um, had been in a lot of pain. This was quite a complex cesarean section. It was the, the third or fourth cesarean section she'd had now. And she, I was, I was on, you know, a long day and I was coming to the end of my shift and she literally just peered out of the of the um, her bay where she was, and she was just like doctor, doctor, and tears streaming down her eyes, and she's like, uh, "Can you please? Can I have a moment to chat with you, please?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure. Like, what's what's the matter? Like, geez, she doesn't look in a good state." Mm-hmm. And she's just like, "I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. I've asked for painkillers. They haven't come yet." Um, and I just and I like you know she was talking. I just was like, "You really don't look alright." Like so, examine her and everything, and she's. She's basically got quite a bad case of post, post-op ileus um, and she needed a lot of investigations and things doing right there and then. But it just seemed to me that, you know, again, she had asked for painkillers and no one had come to review her for a while. Um, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if they just, if there is, again, that perception of your pain can't be as bad as you're making it out mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Um, so I think for me personally, what I've then realized is when there is a black patient on my ward, like I think I take it upon myself to, to just make sure that I pay a little bit extra attention just because I know that sometimes for whatever reason, maybe it's just the staff are busy or maybe there's just that prejudice that something will happen and they will not be treated in the same way. Um, and I know that already we're, you know, at a risk of worse outcomes, then I would rather mm. try and do my best to make sure that that is averted. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny that that was the first thing that you talked about. And I feel as though our listeners might be like, yeah, no, but you keep talking about this in the past couple of episodes, but it just happens to be what the issue is. So the reason I say that is the last episode we had, the last episodes we've had have been um around we did one recently with Javi Sola of Alberts who's a midwife and we were talking about why black women are five times more likely to die and this mm. issue of inappropriate management of pain and mm. symptoms came up we had Tito Oye who is a sickle cell champion mm. and the same issue came up that black people have a higher pain threshold and because she has sickle cells she should have a higher pain threshold not getting morphine when she's in crisis and these kinds of things with other people who are in crisis and it's definitely my lived experience as well seeing black women black men not being given the right kind of pain relief that they need or being taken seriously when they're saying something is agonizing Mm-hmm. And especially for gynecology, gynecology has a very horrible history 
towards black women that has Absolutely. never been addressed and never been taken seriously. And it's then been perpetrated and there is racial bias. I, I don't care if anybody says there's no evidence for that. There is racial bias in gynecology, in obstetrics. Absolutely. I mean, the, one of the fathers of gynecology did all his experiments, Sims did his experiments on black slaves and didn't give them anesthetic. He repaired yeah. vesicle, vaginal fistulas yeah. on black women and didn't give them anesthetic. And then what, 400 years later, you're still saying to me that black women have a higher pain exactly. threshold than their exactly. Caucasian counterparts. It's nonsense. Not it's right. absolutely nonsense. When we had the midwife um, podcast, I put a poll up on my page. And I do that every time we have a podcast so that we just get people understanding what the um, episode is about. We do a couple mm -hmm. of quizzes and then we lead them on into the podcast. And I put up, do black women have a higher pain threshold than men? black women? The people that answered true were doctors, non-black Doctor. interesting and so now it's very clear because i can see who has voted and i can check your page out now you might not know that you've got a racial bias but that is a racial bias yep. we don't have a higher pain threshold we don't have non-sensitive pain fibers mm -hmm. pain gated theory is not of a different theory in us than of other women you know, not really. it, it really, it, it really isn't. And so, this whole thing of you're a strong black woman, and so you should endure pain more, is wrong. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It is. It is wrong, and it yeah. definitely, it definitely goes on in the rest of medicine, in, yeah. in then, you know, um, training other people, training other midwives, training other doctors to have that bias. And I think sometimes as well, even as black doctors being trained in an environment that has that bias, sometimes we might actually trap ourselves into thinking that way as well. Yeah. If we are not, I don't know what the word would be, but woke, I suppose, if we're not enlightened, yeah. if we're not aware. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We can really fall into that rabbit hole of thinking, mm. oh yeah, but you're a black woman. And, you know, we've all, we've all done it. You know, we've all, you know, endured extra pain than we're supposed to during our periods. And we all have fibroids and we're all bleeding exactly. heavily. We're all flooding. <laughs> you know, we're all doing this. And sometimes we do it to ourselves as well. We don't know that we're doing it to ourselves. We just say, oh yeah, well, everybody in my family has endometriosis. So I probably have endometriosis. I'm going to suffer. And, but no, you, you, should, you shouldn't be in that situation. You shouldn't. And I think that is, you know, this whole thing with the protests, it's just bringing a lot of things to the fore mm. in terms of how sometimes we have treated ourselves or actually yeah. how society has treated us for such a long time yeah. in a way that has been designed to oppress us um, and in a way that has been designed to also then perpetuate negative health outcomes because there is no scientific reason why black women should be dying at the rates that they should. Nothing at all. Nothing to support that. Yes, so, there's no yeah. scientific, there is no scientific reason. There's nothing in our room. There, there is, it's just, there's just nothing. There's nothing yeah. that should 
give us the kind of health outcomes that we're getting when we're just trying to have our babies. Mm. Yeah. And so we need to sit down and actually say, well, what is actually, what is actually What's going on? What yeah. is actually, what is actually going on? When I press that buzzer, is my midwife coming? When I, when I speak to the doctor, is the doctor coming? When, you know, I'm, 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 I have preeclampsia, what are they doing about it? When my blood pressure is high, what are they doing about it? When my sugars are high, am I be, is my HbA1c being treated more aggressively, just as aggressively as my Caucasian counterpart in this exact situation? When there's abuse in the home, are they, do they care about me and my babies as much as they do for my Caucasian counterpart who is in the exact same kind of situation with domestic violence? And it's those kind of, it's those kind of discussions that we really need to have and an in-depth analysis into what is going on because they keep bringing out all these reports and saying oh yeah so it's the same it's the same it's the same but what have we done about it yeah yeah what have what what, what have we done about it and then coming back into sort of in the workplace as a black mm-hmm. human doctor timmy do you have anything to say about sort of your encounters with colleagues or you know the microaggressions that comes through in healthcare? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was told once when I was at F1 by one of my consultants, I had full locks and she looked at me and she why do you have this kind of hairstyle? And I mean, it was a Friday. I wasn't working the weekend. I took it out. Um, by Monday, I'd done like crochet twists and I was like, you know what? So I, and she, she looked at me and she was like, this is better. When she saw me on the oh, Monday morning. Wow. Wow. And I mean, I was at F1. What was I going to do? Like, it, That's the that, thing. It's, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? So tell me over yeah. to you. Let, 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 let. Well, I think the number one comment that I think we all experience, no matter how many times you introduce yourself to a patient, no matter how long and how much um, detailed information you give them, you always leave the conversation um, with, thank you, nurse. Thank you so much, nurse, for what you've done. You know, I really 100%. appreciate it. It doesn't matter if you have a big... I remember when I was working in... Um, a&E we used to wear scrubs and our scrubs used to have a big logo that said doctor on it and it doesn't matter if you're like hi I'm doctor this blah 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 I think your child is this this and this they don't respect the fact that you're a doctor even sometimes I'll never forget the day I spent um, extra time trying to explain things to um, this family Um, they were a white family about what was going on with their child and um, I introduced myself as I always do, spent ages dealing with the situation at hand and then sent them away. And the mum came back shouting, saying, how dare you send my child back without being seen by a doctor? How dare you send my child, only a nurse has dealt with her and now you're sending her home. I came to A&E because I thought she needed to be seen by a doctor. I was only doctor on on duty that day. and she was shouting at the um, white nurse who was, you know, the head of department. So the white nurse just came over and said, oh, um, Temi, did you not see this family? I was like, yeah, I spoke to them. I spoke to the mum. I spoke to the child. I gave them the plan and everything like that. And then the woman, she looked mortified and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't realise you were a doctor. Maybe I didn't quite hear um, what you were saying. And, you know, in the middle of a busy night shift you don't have the energy to deal with that you're like no don't worry it's fine just go and deal with it but you go back and you think to yourself and you're like I introduced myself to you Mm -hmm. I have a big like label on my scrub that says doctor on it as well as my badge that says doctor around Mm -hmm. it but just because of the way I look to you for some reason 
especially being a black woman, you don't feel that I should have that kind of position in in healthcare or Mm. I should have some sort of authority to be able to tell you how to deal with your child and treat your child without getting a second opinion from from someone else and um I think that was in my um my f2 year that I experienced that and it was something that I just had to sort of you know it's upsetting but it's something you get over you learn to deal with and you're Mm. like okay just get used to it you know there's no there's no support for things like this it's kind of like well what do you expect you're ex- why why are you surprised you should know this by now you should know you know as a black female doctor you're always going to be called nurse don't take offense from it it's just something people do you know it's not their fault it's their age it's the society they come from so that's something that I don't think any female doctor has not experienced I'll, I'll be surprised to mm. um, come across a female black doctor that has never been called a nurse to the extent even a male white nurse can come over and he's a doctor automatically but well you know it it, it doesn't matter and they'll rather listen to him because he's the white doctor and you're the black nurse even though the roles are reversed so that's something that happens a lot um from i guess patient interactions and also when you when you look at the um structure of of healthcare as a whole you you look at it when you're um look around any hospital any any place you work in you know most of the nurses are people of color most of the junior doctors are people of color and the higher you go up the higher up the the whiter it gets you know the head consultants the head of departments you might have one or two black or asian doctors that are you know head of departments but the majority of them seem to be Caucasian when you go to chief executives and Mm. the higher-ups and the whatever sort of executives it gets whiter and whiter and whiter and your voice gets lost unfortunately and it's one of the things you just learn to band together with your colleagues that look like you and you know you know black people a lot of the time we deal with our frustrations by turning it into a joke or making it you know making it funny so we can deal with how we actually feel so you know you just have a few of you that will meet up at lunchtime oh can you imagine what happened here do you know what so-and-so said Mm -hmm. just to sort of air out the frustrations you have but in a reality it it shouldn't be like that I don't think if if a a white doctor a white female doctor encountered some of the interactions we do with um, patients and they raise it something often happens there's always you know a big response Whereas with us, it's kind of, we're told to like, why, why are you making a fuss? Just keep quiet, you know? And I think a lot of that comes from the mentality of, you know, our parents and the generations before us. A lot of them felt like, you know, we're just fortunate to be in this situation. Let's not, you know, ruffle too many feathers. Let's not step on anyone's toes. If they're a little bit racist, don't worry. You know you're good. You know you're black. You know you're this. It doesn't matter what they think. You know who you are. So you you work you walk around and you work with that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. So if someone does something or says something that you know is not right, in your mind you're like, anyway, they probably didn't know what they meant by that. You know, let me not cause them trouble. We don't want it to drag on. We'll brush it under the carpet. Whereas um, a lot of our counterparts from different backgrounds, um, they don't feel like that. So they can voice out quite easily. You know, the same way you mentioned about your hair, if that was a uh, a white lady that maybe dyed her hair a different colour, I don't think any consultant will say anything about that because that will be seen as being, 
you know, um, discriminating against someone. There's no rules in 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 our whatever we sign in our contracts that say you must have one type of hair. Yeah. I don't remember signing that anywhere. Mm-hmm. But you know, our other counterparts can come in with different color hair, different this, different that, and, and nothing is said. It's it's seen as an expression yes. um, of yourself. Yeah. Exactly. But if we do the same, it's always met with some sort of remark of, oh, that, you know, that, I don't, if it's, oh, that hair looks different. Oh, or, oh, I, I prefer your other hair or, oh, why did you do that? Or can, can I touch it? Is it real? Oh, How do you do this? How do you do that? And it's like, to the extent sometimes you're like, oh, I'm not going to bother changing my hair. Let me just have the same hair that I go to work with all the time to avoid this whole conversation about my appearance Mm. but my friend next to me could do the same thing and it doesn't seem to ruffle any feathers no one cares and I think it's just it's just crazy there's so many you know microaggressions that we face and um, I think what's happened recently has really brought it to the surface I think we spend a lot of time suppressing how we feel or suppressing or or being in denial about you know oh you know that's not right you know we make we spend a lot of time making excuses for people you know um just trying to find a reason to explain why someone has behaved that way you know we never want to call someone racist we never want to make someone feel bad we always try and embrace and make people feel good so if I know that oh if I tell this person off it might offend her let me just keep quiet It, it doesn't matter And it's something that I think we have a lot of unlearning to do. It's something that we need to change in ourselves as well. So that if we stand up for ourselves and correct them and say enough times, you know, this is not correct. You can't talk to me like this. No, I'm not your nurse. I'm your doctor. I've told you before, you know, just because sometimes I won't lie. A few times I've accepted it. I can't be bothered to keep introducing myself. So if you call me a nurse, I'll be like, yes, even though I know I'm not a nurse. But why should I do that? Why should I? just make your life easier by accepting a title that is not my title or role that is not my role not that there's anything wrong with being a nurse there's you know amazing nurses but I'm just not one of them and I think that's something that um, we have to voice out a lot more and hopefully that will make some sort of a change as well. The thing is black women I think we're always trying to censor ourselves in the workplace so much by the way we express ourselves and we try not to be as loud as we might be at home because it's going to be seen a certain way and when we're speaking clearly we're seen as aggressive when we're being assertive we're seen as aggressive and yeah. it's all these kind of things where I can't say something clearly the same way a Caucasian female would say it clearly mm. I have to add in extra padding words to make it seem a lot sweeter when I'm sorry that's just a waste of time do you know what that's that's a really interesting point i was going to add something to like what you both said there because i think when i was looking into the word equality like one of the words that came up was freedom Mm -hmm. and i think when we go back to everything that's happened with george floyd it's it's about that whole thing of i can't breathe and i think many of us are not Mm -hmm. breathing in our workplaces and if you think about it like there is like you said like tell me saying there's no reason why we can't be free to be ourselves but I know for a fact, like, I always, always, like, I feel like now some of the people I work with are stakeholders in my hair. 
because that will always always be like oh no we like that style better can you go back to the style you did and I'm just like wow like I actually need to sorry I didn't realize I need to take permission to like change my hair and like even though it's well known yes my hair will not yeah. one it's a cap but that's fine I still get it covered but it will still get a comment and I'm like but it's covered but what else do you want me to do I don't have straight hair I I, I won't have that like that's not how my hair is yeah. Yeah. um but there will still be a comment and I think going back to the point of introductions I think sometimes in as much as you know for, for all you care your name could be Sarah but because you're black all of a sudden it's like oh I didn't catch that or or if you say it with an accent, oh, yes. even, even worse, it's just like, oh, yeah, they had some kind of foreign name. And I'm like, it's just, it's Sarah. <laughs> like, it's not anything that, you know, overly exactly. complicated. But then I think because you, you look different and you sound different automatically, there's like a, a struggle with it all of a sudden. Um, and, and I think what you said about kind of being looked at as, as the nurse, sometimes being looked at as the cleaner, which yeah. is just like, okay. <laughs> that's the level that you want to you know appropriate me um right and I don't know for for a long time I think like we've highlighted sometimes we've been we've grown up with the culture of it's almost like we are we are thankful we're very grateful to be in this position you know we've uh, our generations before us haven't made it this far none that we have like definitely yeah. let's be more hush hush we don't want to Say too much, that will make us lose our place, as, as it mm. were. But then I think that now, with everything going on, then it's time for us to kind of take a stand and say it's not okay. Um, I'll share like an experience of, of a friend of mine, um, and she is working in psych at the moment. And it's one of those ones where, um, yes, you know, patients, uh, they, they've got an illness, and that's why they're in, in the hospital. But then being called like a black insert unpleasant word mm. is is not okay and sometimes even with non-mental health patients like you will get that just because you're black um and it's saying because i think what she was able to do was just to kind of say look i like i don't come to work to be disrespected like i don't need to be spoken to like this and like thankfully the patient i think kind of realized and like the next time she was in was able to apologize but i think it's things like that like not even being rude or being aggressive or being violent but just saying like i am a person too i don't need to be spoken to in a way that is demeaning because like mm. i am equally human as you are i deserve life like i deserve to breathe as we've said i deserve to be free and to be me and like i've not done anything to you to make you speak to me like this or to make you attack me like this mm. there's no reason for it at all um but i think we do need to be our own voice yeah. definitely in the workplace yeah definitely you know i i really agree with you and in terms of that not being able to breathe it, it goes through so many it, it just cuts through so many areas because you know <laughs> I had a patient say to me once, and I mean, she was she was grateful. So it was, you know, I, I'd, I'd seen her. She'd come in with her daughter, and then as they were leaving, they were, you know, they were really thankful. Oh, you're, you're such a nice doctor, blah blah blah. You know, you're so young to be a doctor. I'm actually not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. You know, okay. And then she was like, oh, you know, you have such great skin. And then she was like, people of your, uh, uh, yeah. 
I was just like, oh <laughs> and you know, I, I think the thing is, and I, it was that kind of thing where I, I kind of felt sorry for her mm. because throughout the consultation and everything and all my encounters with her and the family, they were all really polite and it wasn't, you know, and so I think she felt comfortable to pay me a compliment. But she didn't know how to pay me a compliment. Mm. Um, and then she realized that she was taking it racial when it really mm. didn't need to be. Need to be All yeah. she needed to say was, you're so young and you're so lovely and you have really nice yeah. skin. And I would have taken it that. And you know, people saying you're so young to be a doctor, I'm kind of used to it now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all, you know, it's an ageist thing, but that's okay. But you know, but then the race thing came into it and then she became off, felt awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know? And so I think the problem is also because we have this culture in England of not talking about things, people don't know how to mm-hmm. actually address things and say things. And there's nothing wrong with you saying that I'm a pretty girl with nice skin. There's nothing mm. wrong with that. Um, but people just don't know how to, how to do that. And that's also because we also don't talk about it enough. And there's just yeah. conversations mm. available for them to know how to express these things because there's nothing wrong with paying someone a compliment Definitely, you know? yeah. um, and so those kind of things and you know I was listening to um, Life After the Letters and they were talking to Mr. Selu who was sent to prison for manslaughter a few years ago when actually he hadn't done anything wrong for the patient he'd operated on there was a lot of systemic issues in the private hospital that he was working at. His conviction got overturned and all of that. And we were just, you know, they were talking about how the, we know that referrals to the GMC are disproportionately high in members of the BAME community, yeah. and especially Black doctors. Mm-hmm. And they are referred by their organizations to the GMC at a re- ridiculous rate for things let's not even go into the ridiculous like it's just yeah Yeah. and so these are the kind of things that we're always aware of as well in our heads yeah so medicine is already very litigious but then you also remember that you're a black person and in terms of everything that you're doing and in terms of in terms of work and in terms of that as well how has that affected you in terms of how you practice medicine, just being aware of, of, of that, or also just being aware of how maybe your colleagues perceive you as well in the workplace? Because um, I was speaking to um, a guy new consultant in, she's, she's based in London, and she's one of the clinical directors at one of the huge trusts in London. And she did an episode like this on a podcast for her church based on race. And afterwards, she, she said to me, she said, you know, Dami, I actually felt a bit awkward. I thought if my bosses at work or the board members listen to it, yeah. am I going to fall out of favor? Mm. And I was looking at her and I'm like, oh my God, I'm looking at you as a woman who has made it to the table and is encouraging the rest of us coming along and you're still having these exact same thoughts thoughts. and these things are hindering you so imagine she's spoken freely on the podcast but she's also probably also um censored herself 
Mm-hmm. I, I think it's crazy. Um, the funny thing is with me, I had my experience with the GMC very early. Not that I did anything wrong or anything like that, but when I qualified from uni, my um, university didn't put my middle names on my um, certificate just because I, I went by my first name and my last name and they were like, okay, that should be fine enough. So after I did all my exams with my PLAB and everything and qualified um, to get my GMC registration, it was a battle. It took me, so I finished my exams and everything beginning of December and I didn't get my GMC registration till March, April. So I'd gone back to my university, got them to sign paperwork to say that, look, I'm the same person, this, this and this. Then I wanted all my transcripts again. And they just, every time I'll give them what they want, they'll come back with something else they need. And what ended up getting me the, uh, my registration in the end, I think I just got so frustrated and I just had to write, it was one, you know, you deal with one particular person um, who looks at your case and my one happened to be a white man. And I'm, I'm, feel that has something to do with why it took so long to deal with. I went down to the GMC building. I went over out of my way. I flew back to the Ukraine to try and sort out things as well. They were in the middle of their war at the time as well, not exactly in the city I was working in. Mm. And I had to write them an email saying, I've sent you everything you want. I've given you every piece of document you want as soon as you requested for it. What else you want me to do? Do you not understand this country is in the middle of a war? Do you think them sorting out my issues is of paramount importance to them at this moment in time? What else do you want from me? Then the next day you get an email, your GMC registration has been granted. So it it took to that point of when you have to say, look, I know everything. I've done what you want. What else do you want? What else do you, you know, can you provide? And it's, it's a shame because all they all the only thing that were missing were two middle names that I don't even use that just happened to be on my birth certificate and I gave them documents from my university I think straight away when they asked for it saying that look, this person you know is the same person we've got her registered as both things sealed from the um the dean of the university and all that kind of stuff on official letterhead everything I don't know what else they could have wanted. It's like, he was like, okay, I'm going to dig into everything. I want your last year's, um, your final year's transcripts. And the the issue that annoyed me and why I had to speak up is because he wanted me to get something in writing for every professor of my last year of medical school. What? Go and find, yeah, that's what they asked me for. Finally, the thing that made me say, uh, like, these people are in the middle of this. Do you think me reaching out to every person that taught me in, in my final year of medical school is going to go is anywhere? How are so even going to know you in your final year? That's the thing. They're not just yeah. teaching just you. It's like yeah, year of medical school. If, if you went to a large medical school with 340 <laughs> students per year, how is every professor... Some of them don't even mark the exam papers. What are we talking that's, about? That's so not... Pra- that's not possible. <laughs> so by the... That, that's what... And then after I you know spoke out or emailed out in frustration obviously politely as politely as you can because you you need the registration then I got the registration and that's the day I knew that before these you know high profile cases came out I'm like these people don't care you know that made me know that from that day I have to be careful because if they're giving me 
this much stress to get something I'm entitled to because I passed your exams it's not that I didn't pass your exams mm-hmm. I passed your exams even down to doing the the IELTS exam which I had to ch- I asked them about why am I doing IELTS I was born here I did my GCSEs mm-hmm. and everything here why am I doing an exam to um, test the only language I can speak fluently but that still wasn't enough for them I went to do the exam so I did everything you asked me to do and you're still giving me headaches so that lets me know that if it's that hard to get on this list, it must be really easy to get kicked off. So from, from that day, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, it's, it's, it's not an even playing field. It's, it's not the same, like, mm-hmm. hymn sheet we're all singing from, so I have to be careful. And it, it's something that whenever anyone asks me about, you know, oh, how was it? How was this? How was that? I always make sure I tell people that, look, it's, it's not the same game we're playing, yeah. and we have to be very careful because it seems like they don't want us on the list and even when we are it's really easy to get off it yeah i'll say like in addition to that like coming at it from a slightly different angle um we definitely not only have to be careful we have to work harder so um and i think that when you are in a like when you are in medicine and when you are working in whatever field you're working in like it's then a bit of a disappointment and a bit of a a bit of a shame really when like we some of some of us are not then like playing our part so because sometimes the the way that people are responding to you is not just because of your race like let's face it sometimes mm. you just you can always be late and you're fitting that typical black people are always late you cannot really like truly not know your stuff and not keep your skills up to date and then that's not a thing of race that's just a thing of okay you're really not playing your part in, mm. in this and I think that spinning it on its head really is in as we have to work hard for that reason like we can't afford to slack because yeah. then it will just be you fit the stereotype yeah and yeah. therefore like you said it's, it's then easy to just kick you off because well black people are lazy anyway yeah. um mm. but that's not what it's supposed to be because if you if you're here you've clearly worked hard you've got the capacity so if you are in this playing field then you are able but you have to keep that up yeah, um, and definitely. fair enough some of our counterparts may not have to work as hard but I think there is that awareness that you you as a black person that's what you have to do to remain on the table yeah, yeah definitely and obviously you have you definitely have to work twice as hard sometimes three times mm. as hard um, and I think you know in that situation when I also called out that consultant I knew I, I said to him I said like, like do you have any issues with my work I was like, oh no, 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 no! Because you don't know. And I was like, well, I know. So what is what? So I know. So what's your <laughs> issue? The only issue here is you don't like my face, and my face is black. That is your issue. And I think, and I think sometimes we we're able to do that when we we know where we're at in terms mm-hmm. of because if if you if you had felt that oh maybe you're not so and sometimes we felt that some of us have done rotations where we're just meandering through and just trying to keep our head above water and that is fine because it is training and so you know sometimes you're the one that is going to help other people you're the one that is going to stay a bit longer to help the person that is coming on on shifts you know just to help clear things up for them or you're the one that's going to do most of the discharge letters and do a lot of the work and mm-hmm. you know, things, things like that. And I remember I had one consultant on a day that I was supposed to be doing letters and she he said she was looking for me, looking for me, looking for me. And I went to her and I was like, what do you want? And she said, well, there's a pile of discharge letters. I said, you mean the ones I've done? And she was like, 
oh, well, they said, I said, what did they say? Because they keep calling me that like, you want me. You're not the one in charge of me. You're on call for something else. But you're calling me about a pile of discharge letters that I have done. What do you want? <laughs> and so sometimes it's that, it's that, it's that kind of, it's that kind of, um, you know, um, confrontation and not necessarily confrontation, but sometimes you need to stand up to be able to say, mm. you're accusing me of something that I haven't done. And if you yeah. think that you have evidence that I've done something wrong, show me, show mm. me what the problem is because you're lying against me and sometimes our, some of our colleagues have been in those kind of situations where people have said things about them that haven't been true and they've mm-hmm. not necessarily been able to actually confront the situation or they've, or they've let it go and a lot of us have done that we just let it go somebody say something we let it go i remember we were all at dinner once in med school and um, one of the, the girls in our group her boyfriend said to me oh yeah well black people have partial features anyway and <laughs> I do even know. Really? <laughs> I was just like, okay, like, yeah, sure. Like, you have harsh features. Like, what am I, like, what am I, what am I going to do? Like, what can you do about that? Well, you know? And I'm like, well, where does this come from that our features are harsh? Who, who, yeah. who gives, who, who says these things and who teaches people mm. these things? But actually, coming to you, Timmy, you went to med school in the Ukraine. What was race like there? It was a very different experience I'd say obviously here everything is very you know covert and hush hush and you'll get the stares but you won't even really get the stares people kind of look at you quick glance but um the the city I was in in Ukraine wasn't like a capital city or a huge city it was quite um small quite remote but the difference was the medical school was very very diverse so you had the Ukrainian students that learn in, you know, Russian and then the people learning in English were all um, African from Africa or Asian from Asia, sort of Indian, um, well, mainly Indian and Nigerian were the two major um, um, wow. cultures or, or <laughs> people that were there. So my, it was, so in my class, for example, they were um, 10 of us or, or 12 or something. And maybe four of us were black and the rest were Asian. So it wasn't like you were interacting every day with the Ukrainians and then you'd stay on, you know, stay on campus or not too far and you'd live with, you know, um, Nigerians or or whoever you you chose to live with. It was, I guess, when you left those kind of environments, maybe if you're going to the supermarket or if you're going to the market or you're going somewhere, that's when you remember that, okay, yes, I'm, I'm not in UD, I'm not in, in you know, my safe haven anymore. Um, as a girl, I think the sort of harsh racism, like, oh, you're a monkey, you're this, you're that, wasn't what we experienced a lot of. A lot of it was more, um, I guess, we were exotic, ooh, black women we've never seen black women before you know it's that kind of like oh you know I, i'll never forget the day someone was um a ukrainian guy walked past me in the street and in in russian he basically said oh chocolate and milk go very well together you know that that Ooh, kind of sort okay. of sexual kind of in in a way like you know we don't have many of these let's see what it's like i, I want to experience what they're like but not so I was I've ne- I was never called a monkey for example but I saw 
um, the way they did treat the Asian boys and the black boys in terms of um, um, sometimes they got attacked. Mm. You know, if they if they saw them with the Ukrainian girls walking outside, they could get attacked mm. because you're stealing our woman. What is this mm. person yeah. doing with, with our people? Whereas they all wanted to sexualize us. They all wanted to experience us if they could, you know. Mm. It's something different. We're, we're like a... I don't know, commodity, you know, and, and it, it's kind of similar to what happened in the slavery days as well, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. you, black man can't touch a white anything, but yeah. all the, the white slave masters wanted to experience Take all the black women. different. Mm. And, and it, it was like that. Um, in terms of all our lecturers were Ukrainian, um, but I don't recall any of them being overtly or even covertly racist to be honest in terms of the people that taught us but the people that taught us most of them could speak English and maybe had been abroad or something before or um, you know attended online um, lectures from Harvard and different people so I feel like maybe they were a bit more exposed to um, you know to people of different cultures yeah. yeah but definitely on um, walking the streets, you'll, you'll be reminded that you are other. If it's either by being looked at, like, oh, what's that? Or I, I will never forget one of my friends, he was on the bus and he came back and he told us this story. And there was a little, uh, no, it wasn't even, I think it happened once with a little girl and once with an older Ukrainian woman. And they just came up to him on the bus and just wiped his skin like that to see if maybe he's dirty or if the black will come off or, or something like that. You know, just and looking at their hand or, you know, they'll be like, mom, why is, why is he dark like the sky? Or why is he black like the, the dirt? Or something like that. And, you know, they will either tell their kids, don't say that or they'll say, oh, because he's naughty or, or something like that. But it was very, it was, it was very interesting to see that these, a lot of these people just, had no concept of what black is or black people or, or Asians or anything like that. It was just so foreign to them. It's like all of us just came to uni to in, in their, into their little village and really opened their eyes to, you know, the world isn't white. <laughs> there's other, there's other, other spectrums of colour. But things like that, I remember when I first got to Ukraine, um, my dad came with me. He spent about two, three weeks with me there just to make sure it was okay and safe and that I, it's, it's the right decision we decided to make. And we went to, I had braids, single, single plaits, because I was like, well, I'm going away for a while. I don't know what I'm going to do about my hair. Let me do something that's going to last yeah. a while. And I remember in the market and just feeling my hair being tugged and I, I looked at the back and, you know, they're marvelling at what is this stuff? And I was just like, <laughs> where have I gone? <laughs> that someone has the at least here they will look and ask can I touch this one you're walking in your head somebody's actually pulling you wow (laughs) they've made that choice to to touch your hair without your permission so little well not little things but things like that was um interesting but also a lot of them were curious and they were open to learn I made some Mm. really you know lifelong Ukrainian friends and um some of them it was just genuine curiosity because they haven't been exposed too many black people um i get the, the wealthier ones because they do have quite um a big difference between you know 
the wealthy and the poor yeah. so the poor ones might not have had access to tv as such to have some of the to develop some of the prejudices that um you know you get from watching tv about black people so those kind of people were really intrigued to learn about you um so that was that was refreshing in a way that you get to impact someone and make them have a genuine idea of what black people are not watching you know a movie or a tv show where every villain is black every bad person is black every drug dealer is black every every negative thing has to be black yeah. you know <laughs> at least for them you could teach them and let them know that you know we're just people like you you know there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing besides my skin color being different there's, that's about it it's pretty much boring after that it's, it's the it's the same thing so that was i think that was one of the most refreshing experiences I um in that aspect getting to actually show people with your behavior and your personality that you know there's so many different types of black people and we're not all um who, who, some bad guy on whatever tv shows popular at the time yeah 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 and I think definitely media portrayal in the media social media the mm-hmm. way that portrayed um, definitely plays, you know, definitely plays a role in it. You know, when Michelle Obama started with the campaign, mm-hmm. everything was about how she was an angry black woman. And once, once you get a woman in a position of power, it's that thing of trying to turn her into this angry black woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she's assertive, she's aggressive, you know, anything, or to try to sexualize our bodies, just anything to try to bring us down or demean us. Um, and um, it's, um, it's something that definitely, definitely needs a lot of work. If you were to speak to uh, you know, a teenage girl who was thinking of going into medicine or someone in, um, you know, because we're all sort of you know, further along in our careers now than perhaps we were 10 years ago when you know, 10 years ago, we were all probably just starting out in med school, weren't we? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. thinking about it, yeah. So, yeah. you know, the sort of self 10, 10 years ago, you know, whether you're probably in second year of med school or just getting in, you've had a couple of gap years getting into med school. And just what would you say to her in terms of race? Um gosh it's hard to kind of think of as to what I would say to myself way back (laughs) um I think like a lot of us at the time um one of the things that well I went into uni thinking was that you know I I wanted to I wanted to learn about other people I wanted to learn about other cultures and I'll say definitely be Mm open-minded don't be closed-minded and where you have the opportunity to interact with with other other people from different backgrounds um use that as a you know like use that as an opportunity as well to to mm. educate them um i think like you alluded to um <laughs> black is absolutely human it is what you have it is who you are and that's not going to change so fully embrace it and be free to be who you are Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, just, just di- digressing a little bit, but I remember like just the story you shared tell me about somebody coming to um, kind of like wipe off. Like, well, I remember a lady saying to me, um, I was doing like a GP rotation and she was like, oh, I really like your tan. And I'm thinking, wow, this tan is very permanent. <laughs> 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 yep, it's a bit tan. Um, oh. But 
Gosh, like definitely, if I was to advise myself, like be comfortable in your own skin because <laughs> it's permanent. Um, but I, I think it's it's key as a young black woman in medicine to to know that there isn't anything that is off limits because of your skin color. Like there isn't anything that you can't achieve. So whatever it is that you need to, you know, communicate with people, talk to people, get to know the system, get to know how other people do it. Um, don't, because I was reading something by one of the um, consultant neurologists, it was featured in the, in the BMJ, um, in the Baths. And I think he was saying that it, it took him a long time to be able to kind of have a drink with some of his seniors, to be able to rub shoulders with them just because he just felt they were they were outside his world like mm -hmm. they they there was this disconnect he couldn't connect mm -hmm. and i would say that don't shy away from from mingling don't feel like you it has to be them and us like mm -hmm. invite yourself to the table yeah. invite yeah. yourself to the table definitely yeah. i think yeah definitely about yeah. about people as well i think we we yeah. often put imposter syndrome um, we, we de yeah we definitely struggle struggle with that in terms of not just a, and maybe sometimes as a woman and then also as a black woman in 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 health as well definitely uh, Timmy what would you say to yourself ten years ago um, I would have said to myself don't allow anyone to pigeonhole you or put you in a category um, so before I went to Ukraine um, obviously I was here and. When I was doing my A-levels, and I've, I've always known I wanted to do medicine since no one pushed me into, I'm not a traditional, oh, you must be a doctor or whatever. I chose it. <laughs> I chose it. I was like, oh, I, whenever I'd go into my GP, I was fascinated. If I ended up in the Peds Hospital, I was fascinated. I thought it was such a fun place to work because, you know, it was aimed at kids. So I always wanted to do it. And when I was doing my A-levels, there were... They, they called us all into a room and they're like oh anyone that wants to pursue careers in you know medicine pharmacy blah 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 here's what you should do I remember them telling me that you know don't bother pursuing medicine you won't you won't get in there, there's, there's no point stick do something like pharmacy pharmacy would suit you better you'll get into that no problem yeah. and um and unfortunately, at that time, I had a lot of older cousins that got all the grades you needed, all the A stars, all the A's and everything. Yeah. They still just didn't get into medical school. So my reality, what I was seeing is that if they're not getting in and they are brilliant, you know, and my people at school are telling me to pursue pharmacy, then I'm going to be a pharmacist. It, it's not quite what I wanted to do. It's not quite my dream, but um, let me just settle for what i what i'm good enough for and i'm i always i'm so grateful to my parents especially my dad he was kind of like no you're going to be a doctor you're going to be a doctor yeah. and he's the one that did the research and found um the university and that's how i ended up doing what i wanted to do so if i didn't have um support from my family yeah. i could have well been a pharmacist and there's, there's nothing wrong with being a pharmacist my sister's a pharmacist but that just wasn't the dream I had in me. And if I'd allowed, you know, what other people told me I'm good enough for, mm. um, you know, and it wasn't, I don't even think it was down to grades at that time. Cause it was just, you know, when you start your um, AS journey and, you know, you tell them what you want to do and then just from there and then they're like, no, 
Um, and it, there was a few of us actually that they told, I think someone wanted to be a dentist and they're like, probably do pharmacy, you know, pharmacy is probably better suited for, for you guys. And, you know, it, it, it's a sad fact that sometimes you have to be your own champion and you are the only one that knows what you are truly capable of all this you know oh you don't put enough effort in you don't do all that kind of thing no one knows how much effort you put in no one knows if you stayed up all night cramming whatever you read or you spend all your weekends doing whatever you do nobody knows so you're the only one that knows how much more you can give or how much you, more you can't give so listen to your internal voice I think that's something I had to learn um as I started progressing through medical school and you know working that your own internal voice is very valid and sometimes is more valid than the external voices that you hear around you every day so that's um, probably what I'll tell myself yeah definitely I love that and it's it's you know it's so interesting that all three of us have had that kind of experience in terms of um, career counsellors at, at school saying you know saying certain things to us or you know just don't bother applying to that medical school um you're, you're not going to get in yeah. you know this kind of thing and that kind of thing and i think at the time i i actually i was like oh well, thank you for telling me that i won't get into that mm -hmm. one i'll apply to this one instead and, and you know that, that that sort of thing and when i finally got into my choices it was like oh my god i got in but um thinking back on it now it was like but why but i had the grades and so, so, never I'm, so I'm like never ask we just accept <laughs> I just accepted it I just thought oh she's just had a look at my maybe personal statement or whatever she's just being honest and you know open and it's private school so she's you know she's she's probably doing her job but now I'm thinking yeah. about it, I'm like oh no but I had the grades so I had the work experience so thinking about it in reflection I'm like what was she talking about <laughs> So what else do you need? <laughs> I like ticked all the boxes already. <laughs> I'm like the only thing that I didn't have was was less melanin. Um, but we're here. We're, we're where we are today. Um, okay, so it's a permanent term. <laughs> permanent. <laughs> um, you know, we're where we are today, um, and hopefully, we'll just be able to encourage the generation coming up as well um, to you know to have that faith. Um, as you know, Jen said to um, believe that you know your your race is not a limiting factor, and as Timmy said as well, external factors are not are not what should affect you, but your own um, your own resilience and willingness to pursue your dreams. So thank you so so much for coming on today, guys. It's thank been, you for having it, us. We could continue. Yeah, it's been so it much fun. Longer, <laughs> we, have to, we have to cut it short. So. <laughs> but thank you so so much. It's been it's been a great chat. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Do share this podcast with two people who have not heard about us before. Remember that this podcast in no way replaces advice from your own doctor or physician. Do subscribe and follow us on social media. Leave us a review on iTunes so that others can access the amazing content. And do join the club at asliceofhealth.club and drop us some suggestions or questions that you might have. Don't forget to be a health champion wherever you go by separating health fact from health fiction.